0: Hello, everybody, and welcome to the first in-season edition of the American Citizens Podcast. And um, we have been waiting a long time to get to this point. We have Josh with us as always, and our guest today—we we have our own little, um, I guess you can say, Eddie Had Stadium correspondent. Some might say, oil money correspondent. Um, Joe Bailey is here. Joe Bailey, welcome to the American Citizens Podcast. Good afternoon. Um, good afternoon, and thank you for joining us. So this is, now that we have games to talk about, and we have people who are at the games because we can't go to the games, we are a bit indisposed here. So, we're going to talk about Sunderland.
1: Which Joe understands, actually. Yeah. This is sort of how Joe... You might as well approach, tell us. Yeah, Joe, why don't you tell us, like, what, what your plight is and why you understand our plight. Okay well yeah we may as well start
2: from the beginning and why I'm here so um yeah so I messaged uh, Josh about probably about last week um and basically sympathized because I've I realized that reporting or even podcasting is quite difficult from across the pond uh I've done a lot of blogging about uh, the NFL and American football and uh yeah, if you're not from the right country, sometimes you don't get the recognition you deserve, I find. So, um, <laughs> So yeah, I decided to uh, come and help you guys and uh, give you a taste of uh, the, the Etihad Stadium itself,
0: yeah. And we appreciate that a lot, because... So, well, let me just leave that into my first question, because... Uh, before we get into the game, I want to know what the atmosphere was like in the stadium, because there's been, I get the sense, a lot of excitement building for this season. It's different. It's, you know, Pep is at the helm now. And I get the sense that people are more excited about this season than they have been in recent years. So I'm just curious what the atmosphere at the stadium was like yesterday.
2: Well, you're absolutely right. Um I, well, yeah, I was walking uh, towards the Etihad and there's, there's quite a large surrounding area of the Etihad Stadium now, as you've probably heard, there are bars, there are all sorts, the club shop was buzzing. I just felt like there was a real refreshed and rejuvenated feeling about everyone uh, going there to support the club yesterday. Um, and it was it was a stark contrast from uh, towards the end of last season and last season in general. Um it was just filled with optimism. Um, people were turning up a lot earlier than they were last season. Uh, last season, people would turn up five, ten minutes before kickoff, off um, which, I mean, I don't blame them for doing because, um, <laughs> I mean, towards the end of Pellegrini's reign, I've, I've got to admit, it wasn't easy to watch sometimes, even the home games. But... Um, no, everyone got there early. There was a really, really good atmosphere, even for the uh, players warming up. And uh, I mean, just before kickoff, when Pep walked out, that I mean, that atmosphere was has been missing for a long while. I think.
0: Yeah, I got this. I I've just gotten that sense, and I, of course, we do. We both follow a lot of City fans based in Manchester, so you get the impression from that as well. Just reading those tweets that. Yeah um, this is, this is different. It's new. It's exciting. So let's talk about the actual game. Um, obviously I think it, we can all agree that it wasn't quite as easy as we might've liked it to be, but, um, I, I personally, and you can disagree with me if you want, but I was really encouraged because for all the, for the scoreline and for everything, and for the fact that Um, we were pegged back late on and they really only had that chance. And they had the save that Caballero had to make on Defoe. It never, even when it was one nil, I'm not going to say it felt like a safe one nil because there is no such thing, but it didn't really feel, even though they did end up conceding, it never terribly felt like they were in that much danger. I was really encouraged by what I saw. And I, I, I would like to hear your thoughts as well on that.
2: Um, yes, I, I, I had, I ended up leaving with mixed feelings, but absolutely I was encouraged. Um, from a possessional standpoint, it was amazing. Like nothing else I've seen really from city. Uh, and that's saying something in the last few years. Um, we, so in the first half, because I rewatched it on television, um, we must have had about 83% of possession, uh, at one stage, um, 77% of possession, possibly by the full time whistle. Uh I think it's in that region anyway. Um but um we just our ability to outnumber Sunderland uh, in the midfield because of those inverted fullbacks uh, Sanya and um and Clichy on the le- well I say left side but left center mid basically. Um was it was just uh, it was crazy really. It's crazy to see and um I, I guess the only thing that I was concerned about was uh, the lack of chances created, but I uh, kind of attributed that to a lack of tempo, which is sort of a sign of the start of the season and we're not quite there fitness-wise or tactically yet, um, but um, no, I was encouraged and at the end of the day, um, the first game I always say, get the points and
0: and go, so um yeah, I was, I was pleased overall. Yeah, and I think the attacking fluency is something that will, you know... It, and I think you could see the impacts. I think, again, we can all agree that the preseason preparation did not quite go exactly as Pep would have liked it to go between the cancelled game in China and the fact that they... You know, mean
1: the St. Johnston's game? Yeah, and ended up having to play... rip roaring competition? St. Johnstone
0: behind closed doors, and I... I I do I think that that will come, but I do think, and I think they're also not used to playing at a high tempo. If we're being honest, that's something that they're still going to have to readjust to because, under Pellegrini, the attacking buildup was often far too slow and ponderous.
2: Yeah, very true. Yeah, yeah. I, I think it'll be a case of adapting. It's important to get the points early on. So when we do eventually hit the ground running, uh, when we're all 100%, we have that foundation of points to um, to fall back on and uh, to work off. Um, but um, no, I, I think um, overall it was very encouraging. Um, and like you said, uh, great. Sunderland barely had a chance in the game. They spent uh, 88 minutes uh, chasing the ball. Um and, uh, unfortunately, I think for their goal, it looked like uh, Stones just uh, jumped out uh, from the defensive line and yeah. allowed a def-
1: little bit of space. Can we, can, uh, we, can we talk about that for just a second? Because be I, I saw a lot of people slating Kolarov for that, and I'm like, were we watching the same play? Because Kolarov had nothing to do with that. Stones jumped out, completely whiffed on his tackle, and then Defoe did what he's so good at, which is just exploiting space in between the box. Uh, what, I mean, what
0: is it, Jermaine Defoe? I believe has scored in sixteen different Premier League seasons now. That's incredible.
2: He he is he's timeless as a person. <laughs> um, he I I dreaded uh, his name being on the uh, the team sheet, and there it was, and I knew straight away that. Uh, he would get a chance um, because he always does, and he's always so good at burying them. But um, I mean, we've, I am ready to criticise Stones for that goal, but other than that, it was the perfect debut for him. Um, I thought he barely put a foot wrong other than that, so um, I won't be too harsh on the lad, really, because he was he was very good and looked. Just what we needed on that right side, and it's a good job, really, because we don't have that many other people right now.
1: Yeah, no, I, I definitely don't want to, you know, slate Stones for that. I just thought it odd on, on social media that everybody's instant reaction was to blame cholera for it. But it's, it's that's not quite what happened, you know. This one was on Stones. It was a bit of a learning mistake. Um, But at the same time, I think you hit the nail on the head there, Joe. When you look at the performance that Stones put in, I don't much think you could have asked for anything better. I truly don't. I mean, On less than a week of training? yeah! Yeah! He came in on less than a week of training. He jumped right in there, and for all intents and purposes, he pretty much ran the show like Vinny.
2: Absolutely, yeah. He seemed to control the game from the back. It wasn't just a defensive performance. It was control from the back. And the same goes for Kolorov, really. It seems like it was just the way Pep wanted to play, from the back, uh, passing it through the midfield. And um, he barely barely put a foot wrong on the ball. Um, And for, for a lad that's bound to be very, very nervous with the price tag, with being only 22 years old, with the, an expectant home crowd, he, he really shone, I think. And it, that, that's probably the most encouraging part, one of the most encouraging parts of watching yesterday. Let's, let's talk
0: about uh, Kolarov, because anyone who has listened to this podcast knows that I think that both of us felt that he should have been shoved out the door first chance anyone got I actually tweeted from our account at one point during preseason that if he plays even 30 seconds of the season, it would be 30 seconds too many for my liking. And then he again, not even we didn't even consider in the realm of possibility that Kolarov at center back would actually be a thing that transitioned to the uh, the, the season itself. We thought it was a preseason thing covering for, you know, whatever, and that it would immediately be scrapped once the competitive game started. We were wrong about a lot of things. So I think we should talk about Kolarov and the fact that he more than did his job on Saturday.
2: Uh, Yeah, yeah. um, I I can't argue with what you're saying there. Um, Going back to what you initially said there, um, at the end of the last season, uh, I was one of thousands of people that were ready to say goodbye to Kolarov. Um, him, Nasri, Yaya Torre, uh, Wilfred Boney as well. Uh, it seemed like the whole fan base was in unison in saying to Pep, get them out of the club. Um, they've done their time at City. You know, they were, go- they were great a couple of years ago. They've been at this club too long, but here we are um, after a, a very, very confident performance from Kolarov and um it's that's pep for you i guess i don't have another conclusion uh, other than saying that uh, only pep i guess
0: (laughs) yeah josh i know that you tweeted during the game who is this guy
1: yeah in, in in all caps at that i mean there there comes a point where well, let's just call it what it is. There comes a point where I have to wonder if Pep didn't get his degree n- instead of from La Masia from Hogwarts. Um, the, the, the dude is a sorcerer. I, I not You know, we didn't even consider Kolarov as being part of an actual center-back pairing
0: I don't think we even considered the possibility of Kolarov even being in the
1: team. No, yesterday. and he went and got himself a man of the match. And there was one point in that game where Kolarov noticed that there was acres of space that he could exploit. And he took the pass from Caballero and, and then proceeded... I thought he was going to pull off a Carvajal in in in, in the—I'm uh, uh, drawing a blank on what that damn Cup game is. I know what well, you mean. Yeah, the, just, super, the, the Super yeah, Cup. Yeah, yeah, the Super
0: Cup. You know, uh, it reminded me, he scored a goal like that a couple years ago at Swansea from the left-back position. It reminded me of that, but we'd never really see it.
1: No, if he just— He just sort of authoritatively charged forward, uh, was shucking people off like he was Yaya Toure. There was a bit of Marshawn Lynch beast mode in there once he got to about midfield. And, uh, yeah, I I, I thought he was going to bury it. Like, it's one thing to... Take these guys to move them around to assign them new positions. It's an entirely different thing to take a man that most people were ready to send out the door and turn him into a man of the match in the very first performance of, of the new season. Playing a relatively foreign position to him, Kolarov did. and and this just sounds like vinegar coming out of my mouth because of all the things I'd said in the past, Kolarov did enough to make me say, all right, I can see why Pep would want to keep him. If he thinks he can improve upon this, it's hard for me to argue with keeping him. But, Joe, uh, you you brought up something in there that I want to toss back to you, and, Gray, you can chime in on this. If, you know, like you said, there were a number of people at the club that everybody couldn't wait to see out the door. Uh, can we spend a moment to praise Wilfred Bonnie's tweet from, what, like, a basically barren apartment with him just standing there alone saying, Great three points, lads! And it was like... I didn't know whether to feel sorry for him or.
0: I, I do feel a bit. Yeah, I do feel a bit for him because, I mean, I don't think that it has been on kind of a lack of effort. Um, it he was it was a big move to a big club. And obviously he was always going to take that opportunity. It just it hasn't worked out. I think the, what we've all yeah. agreed is that he is basically a square peg in a round hole. And that's, you know, it's not entirely his fault.
2: Absolutely. I think um, of that group of players I mentioned about five minutes ago who sort of the the fan base seem to not really want at the club anymore, I think um, him and Mangala are ones that I kind of feel sorry for because, like you said, Gray, it's not for a lack of effort. It's, uh, it's because they've been thrown into a club that plays a very different style to what they're used to and also it's just a, a matter of not being good enough really um whereas you look at Nasri and Yaya Tori, and of course they're good enough they've proved that three four years ago uh yet um Nasri comes back overweight uh Yaya Tori is Yaya Tori with his lack of effort and um it's it's two two very different situations I think and uh I did Josh I did really appreciate that tweet um It was very amusing, but um, I think it was just his deadpan face as well that that made me laugh, but uh, I did feel for him a little bit, yeah. I I don't know
1: how you couldn't feel for him just a little, but at the same time, it's one of those situations where it's like, well, dude, you know you put one or two of those balls into the net and we aren't here. You know, you're a striker. Your yeah. job was to strike and you didn't do your job. Um, it, it, but I mean, these people are human. And that's the part that, that I, I at least like to emphasize is that they are human. And Pawnee did. You know, the fact that he got so much time out of the gate at least says something to me about what Guardiola thought of his effort. I I, I do believe that, because Pep had a very similar problem with Mandzukic when he arrived at Bayern Munich. Um, I, I think Mandzukic was very much square peg in a round hole at Bayern Munich, maybe not so much under... Uh, previous regimes, but not necessarily with what Pep wanted to do. But the one thing that Pep couldn't praise Manzukic enough for, and, and there was even a section in the book where he pointed out to the players, like, look, man, he may not be able to do everything that I ask him to do. He's like, but all I ever ask is that you guys go out there and give it your effort. And this man, this man right here, he is a player. He comes every day to work, to work. And, and I think that there's something to be said for that. And guys like Mangala, guys like Bonnie, and, 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 and all the time that they were there and all the stick that they took, you never saw these guys step a foot out of line for the club or crap on the club.
0: I think you contrast it with the way that Nazri has been treated during preseason, in which he was frozen out of training, he was frozen out of the preseason. I wasn't
1: really games. a big fan of that, to be quite frank. Yeah,
0: um, but yeah, I, I'm just contrasting with, you know, he showed up overweight after, you know, a summer where he didn't play in the Heroes, obviously, so he would have had to watch himself. Um, that slightly controversial video that showed up last week, which I, you know... And I think a guy who has been... At certain Sorry, points,
1: what was this video that oh, I missed? Oh, he
0: was in a he was in a rap video with, I believe, drugs. I didn't watch it, but he wasn't doing the drugs. But someone else would have to. <laughs> I, I I
2: did see the video, um, and uh, I, I I think there were drugs in the video and with the guy that was singing. But and he appears uh, twice in about five second. Uh, yeah. So, um, it wasn't that bad, no, that's but I not agree. Really a lot of people thing,
0: a lot of people freaked out about it. It's um, not really
1: something I'm prepared to yeah. give Nazari. But,
0: be on, but, but beyond that, I think Nazari at certain points in his city career has been sort of accused of not quite giving 100%. I you know, kind of ducking the wall in the I Derby the year it,
3: after uh, they pro- won the
0: title is, you know, a prime example of that. And I think there's a sense that Samir Nasri at Manchester City has never been as good as he could have been or should have been. So I think that you, you, so when you uh, compare and contrast the treatment of, like, say, a guy like Bonnie, who has always done everything asked of him, it just didn't work. And Nasri, who has often been accused of being inconsistent. Um, and I think that's you can see within how they've been, how the players themselves have been treated.
2: You have to admire Pep's ruthlessness, though, in terms of his team selection. I mean, he, he did not... I, I know there were rumours that Yaya Toure has picked up a slight knock or slight niggling injury, but uh, to leave him out entirely, and Wilfred Boney as well, um, you know, it's he doesn't shy away from the the uh, the big moves. He didn't shy away from dropping Joe Hart, which I'm sure... Yeah, we'll talk, speaking but... of
0: the big moves... <laughs> yeah. Yeah. <laughs> um... Yeah, I suppose we are obligated to talk about that. And I'm kind of dumping this on you because I'm guessing that no one else is checking Twitter here. But within the last half hour, the Manchester Evening News has reported that Manchester City are in advanced negotiations with Barcelona over the transfer of Claudio Bravo. Personal terms have been agreed, and they believe they can agree a a fee of approximately half of what his release clause is, which is approximately $18 So I'll, I know that I'm probably the only one who saw that because it has happened literally since we started recording this. So let's talk about Joe Hart first um, and the decision to drop him and play Caballero, Who, and I think this came as a big surprise to a lot of us because the stated reason, is, or as I put it, if you're playing the goalkeeper because of you know, his ball skills and his passing and his distribution from the back, Caballero didn't exactly excel at that in the preseason so the thinking on my part was if Caballero was that shaky with that concept and still got the nod over Hart how far behind must Joe Hart have been in that particular department?
2: Yeah um, uh, there's so much to talk about on this um, but uh, I, mean, I picked up on what Pep said uh, after the game about the uh, team selection. And he said that Willie was picked based on pre-season form. And I just, I took a moment to sort of take that in because I, I sort of thought what, what pre-season form was that? Um, he did not do anything for me um, to, to warrant a place on the team. Having said that, um, I thought he had a very solid game actually. And uh You know, there was a couple of nervy moments uh, where he was playing it out from the back and he did uh, concede uh, possession at one stage. But outside of that, he didn't do much wrong. And um, I I think Pep can be vindicated to some extent on his team selection there. Uh, As for Hart, I mean, I'm deeply concerned for his future now because... It, like you said, how far behind must he be um, for him to not be willie's standard um and with Bravo potentially coming in, I haven't seen that tweet, but um I, I wouldn't be surprised um i I don't see I can see a lone move potentially uh where Joe Hart goes somewhere else in the Premier League, potentially everton um or, or either that he'll stay and uh, be a bench player for the rest of the season.
0: Yeah, and on the subject of Willie, I think, you know, he had the one... I know he basically passed it directly to Duncan Watmore at one point. Um, but yeah. other than that, that was really the only really glaring... I, he actually came out and swept one up pretty well during the during Yeah,
2: the I, I was thinking, is that Man, Manuel Neuer back there? Well, right. <laughs> <laughs> maybe. Um,
0: um, Josh, I mean, and the, the thing before I turn this over to you, Josh, on the Joe Hart-Willie Caballero situation is, Um, We have to keep homegrown quotas in in play here, too. And I'm not sure that they can actually afford to replace an English player with another foreign player. So that makes me wonder, you know, if this Bravo report is true. And the Manchester Evening News is generally one of the more because this is coming directly from them. And so, you know, I just... Is this going to be a situation where we have... um, Joe Hart sort of in and out all season or what? I don't know what's going to happen, but Josh, I'll turn this right over to you. Um, what do we make of this? Because I think that we had agreed before this, before the season started that Hart would get his chance, but he wasn't in Guardiola's long-term plans. Now, you know, you have to really consider the possibility he's not in the short-term plans either.
1: Yeah, I think Hart's as good as gone. Um, I I think the biggest damning indication of it was in the post-game press conference. uh, Pep Flott said uh, he was about six or seven months away from being ready. If that doesn't tell you what Pep thinks about Joe Hart, then I... That's not coach speak. That's that's him saying, this dude is light years away from being the kind of keeper I'm going to trust in my system. Um, quite simply put, I've never been an outstanding fan of Hart. Um, I love what Joe Hart means for Manchester City. Uh, I love what Joe Hart does for Manchester City. I love the way that Joe Hart represents Manchester City. Uh, but those things, I think, are are not the same thing as, as what Joe Hart does on the pitch for Manchester City. And ultimately, at the end of it... Um, Manchester City could have made their path in, in last year's Champions League game <clears throat> or Champions League group stage a lot easier. I'm not saying that, in theory, they they, they could have gone further. I, I think the draws they got got them as far as they were going to go. But when you look at the team that they put out there and then you look at the performance that they had away, away matches, no less – uh, and then you look at the goals that City chipped to Juventus to lose those games. And I ask you, I say, are these goals that a world-class keeper would have not saved? If that same shot from Morata had come on Gigi Buffon, would he have been shifted so far to the right that he was unable to get back in time uh, to make the save. And I, and I think the answer is for me, it's no, I don't see Clark Hart as a world class keeper. Uh, gray, I don't know how much you follow the UFC uh, at all. Um, but there's sort of the, do you follow it at all or have you in the past?
0: Not terribly much, so go ahead and okay, well,
1: Anyway, for those who did, a while back when GSP was the reigning champion of the welterweight division, there was a dude named John Fitch. And John Fitch could destroy just about anybody who uh, came at him. Uh, but he could not beat GSP for the life of him. But nobody could get past John Fitch, so you ended up with this situation where... John Fitch was the number one overall contender, sort of like Uriah Faber 95% of the time, but he'd been in the championship fights so many times and lost that you're having a hard time saying, why does this guy keep getting title opportunities? The same thing I feel applies with Hart. There are so many different instances and you look at the Euros and I'll wrap it up on this. You look at Hart and the comments he made at the Euros and then you look at the bumbling mistakes that he made. Joe Hart puts himself in these situations. I think he's a little bit overconfident. I don't think he's as humble as he should be when, when he approaches the game. um, And I think that Pep Guardiola appreciates a bit of humility. You want to have confidence, but you need to understand what your strengths and what your weaknesses are, so that way when a manager approaches you about your weaknesses, you're not of the mindset that you're so damn good, you don't have to do anything to fix it. And I'm not saying that Joe Hart's there. I'm just saying it's been a couple of years, and he's still making the same mistakes and we're talking about a guy who was dropped and sent on loan for an entire season not too long ago. So maybe people need to realize that this is just who Joe Hart is and that a move for Claudio Bravo might be the best thing for City.
2: I, 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 go ahead. Thank you. Um, I've got to agree with everything, almost everything you've said there. I've never really uh, considered the confidence side of it being an issue. He's often been like that. And I I, I don't know. I think he, he's, always, he's always been willing uh, to the same extent, no matter what his confidence is, um, the confidence levels. But um, I have to agree. I mean, although he's Mr City and although we can get uh, really sentimental about him being dropped... Um, you know, Pep, Pep's aiming to wipe all of this out and, and start afresh uh, with his system. And um, I think uh, a basic function of a goalkeeper is his shot stopping, and he's never been to the standard required at that, in my opinion, um, especially from a reasonable distance. So he's been fine when it's been close difference and uh, close. Thank distance. you,
1: Joe. You are the only other person. God, thank you. I have been saying this for two and a half years, and I have been wanting to hear somebody else say that. Up close, this guy can stonewall Lionel Messi and Cristiano Ronaldo. If it's five meters outside the box, my grandmother could put it past him. And I don't understand it, because not a lot of those shots are world-class unbeatable shots from guys like Neymar these are dudes who literally stop turn and just rip and then it goes in
2: yeah uh yeah I've definitely shared those frustrations to be honest he there's such a startling hole in his game and it's always been there really and I mean it was just um, accentuated at the Euros and in parts last season uh, um and and even in the, that pre-season game uh against uh who was a, a Arsenal of course um he he only had 45 minutes and that was enough for me to to say you know let's move on from here let's let's go to the Pep Guardiola era where we're not focusing on the sentimental side we're just going to push on and we're going to create a better team than we ever have done
0: i think that we knew that there was going to be at some point you know, a decision that would be in a certain sense unpopular that Guardiola would have to make. And we weren't sure, you know, what it would be, who it would be. But it was some inevitably, you know, he's going to, to chop guys who are part of the furniture, so to speak. Um, and I obviously he's not here to be sentimental. He is here to win everything that he can. And more importantly to him, um, instill a style of football at the club that he wants. And I think it is becoming, and I think it has become blindingly clear to Guardiola that Joe Hart both is not the keeper who will, and in Guardiola's system, the keeper is so important um, because you need to have a keeper who's good with his feet, who can sweep up, who can distribute well. And long before Guardiola was coming to Manchester City, Hart's distribution was listed as a flaw in his game, and that flaw is magnified even more when you have a manager coming in who puts so much emphasis on it as being important in a goalkeeper. So I think that it took Pep not too terribly long to discover not only that Guardiola is, or uh, excuse me, Hart is not good enough to play that way currently, but that he has serious doubts that he will ever be able to be good enough to play that way. It's hard to teach, you know, to teach an old dog new tricks. Not that Joe Hart is yeah. old, but um, you know, his game hasn't really evolved in the last few seasons. It's sort just sort of he's the same goalkeeper he's always been. And I wanna be clear, I don't think Joe Hart is bad, but you know, in this system is just I don't think he'll ever be up to the standard that Guardiola is going to demand of his goalkeeper.
2: Definitely. Um, I, I mean, uh, as you were saying that, I mean, I think we can all agree that he's definitely a good goalkeeper. He's definitely better than average, and he's certainly in that top half of keepers in the Premier League. Um, but um, uh, my mind's just cast back to the amount of times last season, the season before, whenever really. Um, he's got run. To take the goal kick and it's gone straight out of play, uh, despite it being a- aimed at uh, one of the wingers. And um, yeah, I think it's. I think even with long ball distribution, never mind the short ball that Pep Guardiola wants. Uh, there's a massive flaw in his game there. And uh, yeah, I, like you said, um, I, I doubt he'll be able to learn the Pep way. So it is what it is.
0: And I think it will come as a disappointment to a lot of people, but you know, like we've all said, Guardiola's not here to be sentimental. So now that we've exhausted the goalkeeper option, um, <laughs> with with it looks, it does look like, and this is start the Bravo story is starting to spread itself around a bit. Um, Torres another. It's also guy
1: worth that, noting too, and I don't know. Look, I. I don't know who he is. Maybe, Joe, you, you could explain. I followed him since I first became a part of Manchester City Twitty, the F-bloke. Uh, the guy's followed by, I don't know, like he's followed by like Tony Evans, so on and so forth. I'm going to guess that this guy at one point used to work in the media and no longer does. Uh, but, but he oftentimes will tweet things out, things that... I'm used to in the recruiting world that I can pick up on are hints from somebody who is in the know. And he's been subtly tweeting that, that city are making progress with Alexi Sanchez as well. How on earth city plan to accommodate all of those players in the attacking. Look, what do you, I'll just put it simple. What do you guys think about the possibility of Alexi Sanchez joining? If that were to happen.
0: I don't think there's any chance.
1: (laughs) I uh, I
2: have to. I'm sceptical like you, Gray, there. Um, uh, Mainly because it's a serious position of strength. I mean, assuming let's assume both circumstances, that he plays out on the left, as he has done many times for Arsenal. Um, We've just signed Alita, who can play there. Uh, Sterling, who we've yet to talk about, um, for me was a possible man of the match from yesterday, and he played on the left and the right. And then we've got Sane coming in. Um, it 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 seems it doesn't seem to make much sense to me, especially given the price that will possibly be involved in it. And then w- if we can assume that he plays maybe more centrally, um, I mean, we've already got Aguero, we've got Silva, uh, Kevin De Bruyne who can play the number 10, uh, Kelechi... Uh, we're, we are so stacked in the forward areas uh, that a, a high price for Sanchez makes
0: zero sense for me. I have a hard time believing that at this juncture in the window, especially after how they perform today with that group of supporters on the verge of open revolt because they've only signed Jaka and, you know, that Arsenal are doing that very Arsenal thing where they just, they're linked to a bunch of people, especially center forwards, but they never actually sign any of them. Letting Sanchez go, I think would just spark a full scale revolt. Um, Absolutely. So I, you know, I can't, I can't see it happening, especially this late in the window. Um, I do, well, you mentioned Sterling and I wanted to mention Sterling before, you know, we move on to our last topic, since we're expediting this a bit, um, I think that I thought he was excellent. And I think that's exactly what, you know, what we hope that, you know, Guardiola would instill some confidence in him, let him give him some freedom. He looked like there was more of a willingness to run at defenders than there was that toward the end of last season in particular. He looked much more like and I mean, you know, it wasn't an immaculate performance, but he was very good, very, very lively. He won the penalty. And I can't see how you can be anything but encouraged by that performance.
2: Yeah. Um, obviously, he's, there are still signs of last season, Sterling, or towards the end of last season and in the Euros, where he could do with improving passing, uh, shooting as well. I can think of one example of a fairly difficult left foot shot yesterday that went quite far over the crossbar. But in terms of being an out-and-out winger, he was so good yesterday. Uh, what you want is you want players running at the defence, causing them problems with the pace. And three minutes in, he runs in behind the defence, uh, does a perfect cut back that Van Arnhelt, Van Arnholt just cannot handle at all. And uh, he bundles him down and we have our first goal. And uh, I think he, he there was another example in the second half when he switched over to the left-hand side. Uh, he just ran at um, Donald Love. Uh, who is there right back, and completely beat him, sent a ball into the box, and unfortunately there was no one there, but much, much better from Sterling. It's exactly the thing I want to see, him playing as wide as possible and using the pace that he's been gifted.
0: Josh, did you have any thoughts on Raheem? Guardiola seems to have taken a liking to him, at least, I thought.
1: Yeah, I I I think that this is exactly... We, we... We spent so much time talking about what Guardiola can do with wingers that I won't belabor the point on it at all. I just think you're starting to see a bit of what Guardiola does for the confidence of young players and the what and why and how of Kingsley Coman's, Douglas Costa's, etc. becoming world-class talents. Uh, at a young age, w- whatever Guardiola needs to do to get through to these young men, young men, he has mastered that. And it is not an easy skill. Uh, so kudos to him for successfully tapping into whatever it is he needed to to, to light the fire under Raheem's ass. Uh, because if Raheem keeps playing like that, Oh, man, I can't wait to see what's going to happen with he and Sonic. Uh, but, but but real quickly, the, the only thing that I'd add to that <clears throat> is that, you know, when Jesus Navas was brought on, I see exactly why Guardiola kept Navas. There were so many times when Navas, and I think I pointed one out on Twitter, Gray, I can't remember if you can remember which one it was, but... There was one play where Navas instinctively went and made a, a tactical cover that prevented a, a, a counterattack by uh, <clears throat> by Sunderland, and it just sort of showed why Guardiola wanted to keep him in the team, even though maybe there had been some issues. And then you look at Navas's cross... And it reminded me of a line from uh, deep in, uh, the, or in the, the, the pet Confidential where Guardiola talked about across that deep in the box is almost half a goal. And it mm-hmm. Was.
0: Mm-hmm. He was. He looked a little bit more courageous in attack, I thought. He was yeah. willing to do some of the things that he had been so often criticized for not doing.
2: There was the usual points where you thought yeah, his delivery could be better there, but his in terms of his positioning, you could see you could see exactly what Josh said why Pep kept him. Uh, just one last thought on Sterling. Um, Sam Allardyce was there for the record watching, and uh, he must have been very impressed with both Sterling and Stones. Um, surely Pep can make them uh, England's future. I think.
0: Yeah, you would think so. Um, real quick, Yaya Toure didn't even make the uh, match day squad. I know that is. Do we still believe that this is going to be a case where he just sort of hangs around until his contract expires next summer, or do could there still be a sort of sense of urgency to move him out the door before the end of this window? But of course, barring you know, they might have to get a replacement in or what have you. I don't know. But you know, what do we think? This, do we feel any differently about his future now that we have seen, or you know, were I just are they saving him for midweek in the Champions League tie? I don't.
2: Um, I I think if we could have sold him, um, we would have. To be honest, um, I don't think selling him is has been easy at all. Has been an easy ride. I think um, Inter won't pay his wages, and no one else seems to be in, interested. So I do am ninety percent sure he's going to see out his contract um as for a future in in the team in the squad uh smart i i really think he'll be in this squad for tuesday whether he'll be starting or not is another thing because i would like to see uh, delph get some some time in the middle as well cuz he didn't start um but i i see him being uh, rotated in um hopefully used loosely and not overused like in the pellegrini era um, but I do think he has a future this year anyway.
0: Yeah, I think, yeah, I think the wages are what's
1: going to keep him from, I think it's the wages and the fact that he legitimately wants to play. And I support that with one quick theory. Dimitri Seluk has not said a damn word. Dimitri seluk has shut up. <laughs> And Dimitri Seluk does not know how to shut up. So the fact that he has shut up, even though Yaya has not seen significant numbers, didn't even play in City's opener, didn't even get a sniff. Not a comment from Dimitri Seluk today. And because he knows that the last time he started running his mouth, when he was at, uh, at, at uh, Barca, that's exactly when Pep said, yeah, I don't need this crap, you're out, see ya. So I think there is, the, I, I truthfully believe, just from <clears throat> that perspective alone, that Yaya is, is doing what he can to put a lid on Seluk, because I think he does want to stay. I think he realizes that he's getting older, and if he wants to win anything I guess you could say, again, because he does have that Champions League victory at, at at center back. But if he wants to win something again later in his career, this is probably his best chance to do it. Because the yeah. next team he goes to is probably going to be like a uh, Zhengzhou Everglade or Guangzhou Everglade or whatever. <laughs>
0: yeah. <laughs> um, yeah, go ahead. Did you have something?
2: I, I, I think it's a shame for Yaya. I would have loved to see him take a leaf out of um, his brother's book, really, And um, in terms of how uh, Kolo has sort of extended his uh, career by uh, moving to Celtic and uh, he's started off really well. Um, but I, I, Yaya doesn't seem to have that work ethic that Kolo has, uh, certainly in the later parts of his career. But um, yeah, I, I completely agree with you, Josh. I think he is doing everything he can because he does—he knows about Pep's ruthless side, really.
0: Yeah. Um, real quick, let's uh, just a quick word on the uh, the Champions League tie in Bucharest on Tuesday. Um, you know, never want to take these things for granted, but you feel like they should be able to do well enough, at least, to be able to take. This back to Manchester with a good chance of you know, dusting them off if they can't do it in the first leg. Um, do we do we expect to see any changes to the team and what and, you know what? How do you feel about the tie as we sit here about uh, a little less than forty eight hours away from it?
2: Um, I in terms of what
0: I expect from the team, I
2: don't expect um, Pep to rotate um, at the back. Perhaps if Otamendi's fit, he'll come in for Kolarov. But other than that, I, I think Pep will want a solid back four. Um, well, back four, back back whatever. I, d- I don't know how you interpret um, Pep's shape in ter- after yesterday, but uh, I think he'll try and keep a set number at the back. Um, as I said earlier, I think um, perhaps... Uh, Kevin De Bruyne, who didn't to me seem totally ready for football, he seemed a little bit off the pace at times yesterday. Um, will possibly be rotated out. Would like to see Delphine, um, and um, but I, I I don't think he'll go full rotation. I think I don't think we can afford to do that right now. Uh, so I, I see our main guys still being in there. Fernandinho was a crucial part of yesterday's performance. Uh, he's going to be the centerpiece of our team, I think. So he'll be there again.
0: Yeah, I agree with you on De Bruyne, who seemed a bit short of um, fitness and everything like that. Uh, Josh, you have any thoughts on the Bucharest tie?
1: Um, I'd like to see a change of the left wing. Um, I don't think, you know, you guys already talked about De Bruyne. I would have mentioned him as as being one of the the, the poorer players, but uh I, I'm not ready to, 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 to bench the dude or anything, but I I don't think Nolito offered really anything yesterday, to be straightforward and honest with you. Um I I think that most of the wing play came effectively most effectively from Sterling. Um, maybe Nolito needs a bit more time to settle in. Uh, and I think there's something to be said for having an enormous amount of, well, maybe enormous amount is, is a bit generous, but having a decent amount of success using Navas and, and Sterling as your wingers while you get other guys acclimated to the team. Um, cause I, Look, as 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 much as City dominated a lot of things yesterday, th- the last thing that you need is is to come back tied at the Etihad one one. You know, w- with Bucharest, I mean, there's just so much that can go wrong in these stupid games. You almost want to have a four or five goal and put it to bed in the first leg. So, uh. <sighs> outside of the changes you guys have made, I guess Alita would be my only, my only recommendation. Yeah, that's fair. I'm, I'm interested
0: to see how he approaches first of all, an away game. Uh, and second of all, a pretty high stakes away game, because you know, for whatever you might say about how, however strong Bucharest are, this is a huge, huge game, a pair of games really for Manchester city, because they need to be in the champions league. um, So I'll be interested to see how he chooses to approach that. If he does set up Navas for some extra defensive cover or something like that, if they do, you know, if he tweaks the inverted fullbacks, the wingbacks, whatever you'd like to call them, I'll be interested to see how he responds because I don't think it will be the exact same. The personnel, I think, will be largely similar, but the setup, I think, will be a bit different and tweaked.
2: Yeah, for sure. Um, I, 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 like you guys have said, I think you can't understate this game, really. I, I know, uh, overstate, sorry. Um, and um, I It's going to be in front of a packed crowd. I mean, the a stadium is supposedly 57, and they're going to be up for this. So we're going to have to be on their game. Like Josh said, um, a lot can go wrong. So uh, Navas, to me, makes sense because of his defensive duties like you've covered. Uh, maybe Nalito needs to ease into the season a bit more. So Navas and Sterling, I wouldn't be surprised at. In terms of benching De Bruyne, I think I'd only do it on the grounds that he's not ready. Um, he, he seemed to be struggling, like I've said, but for no no other reason, I'd never bench him based on performance.
0: Uh, I would I, you know, he only, he only needs to create like that one moment for, to make his place in the team worthwhile. So even if, you know... I think you you leave him out if he's just completely not fit to play, maybe bring him on as a late substitute or something like that. But otherwise, I would keep him in there. Um, so I guess that concludes the first portion of our podcast. Joe, your insight has been invaluable, and we'd like to thank you, and we look forward to oh, having you on you again. Thank you very
2: much. Thank you. Thank you. I, I really want to be on air again. Yeah. Uh, it's uh, It's been thoroughly enjoyable.
0: Well, you will be, so that's, that's good news. <laughs> um, <laughs> So we'll keep checking in with you over the course of the season as you keep attending games and you can tell us what you think and how things are going in Manchester. And we really appreciate that insight. Perfect. Sounds good to me. And, <clears throat> and Joe,
1: I, uh, I can't thank you enough again for reaching out to us. Like you said on our phone call yesterday, we do need a line directly to the Etihad. Um, we do need... <clears throat> that uh, that connection to, to what's going on across the pond and uh, clearly you, you you've got your tactics down pat so that solves that problem uh, instead of just having a fan come on and talk I mean it always helps when 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 your guests can talk tactics um, so I, I really honestly do look forward to, to checking in with you consistently throughout the year. Uh, and, and especially for things like the Derby. and <clears throat> before we let you go, I want to let fans know some of what we talked to. Uh, I talked to Joe about that he'll be doing for us. Uh, he wasn't able to do it this time because of an iPhone. I believe that he said, picture the most smashed iPhone that you can. <laughs> and that's about the, the, the get of what I'm working with here. Um uh, but as the season rolls on and he gets his new iPhone, he promises to bring us not just information uh, uh, from the Etihad but sights and sounds as well that we will be incorporating into the podcast. So when we do have moments like Manchester City uh, you know like there were so many last year you know uh, coming from behind to, to win the group and things like that those types of moments our our man will be there for and and we'll be able to be able to bring some of those to you and i'm really flipping excited about that because <laughs> that's the coolest part of any youtube video
2: will be my pleasure for, uh guys um i'm looking forward to it as well um
1: yeah it's it's
2: been really fun actually to uh Talk about the atmosphere and things like that, and uh, hopefully I remain as optimistic uh, as we all do um, throughout the season.
0: Joe, real quick, tell us where we can find you on social media if anyone wants to do that.
2: So um, on Twitter, my uh, Twitter handle is uh, J- all lower caps J W Bailey B A I L E Y one um and uh, i don't have that many followers so i'd appreciate a follow you get uh, manchester city insight from manchester so uh, who wouldn't want that
0: who wouldn't we, we, <laughs> we do so thanks again joe we will talk to you definitely at some point in the future and we really appreciate your time today
2: all right thank you guys
0: thank you Hey everybody, this is Gray from American Citizens. How would you like to get all of your favorite NBA team's merchandise delivered straight to your doorstep? Check out FanEssentials.net. All you do is pick your favorite sports team, and every month you get your team's gear shipped right to your door. They find the sports gear so you don't have to. Each fan box comes packed full with some amazing gear. It makes a great gift idea for any sports fan. Prices start at just $34.99. Visit FanEssentials.net and use promo code CITIZENS16, C-I-T-Y-Z-E-N-S-16, at checkout for 30% off your first month. Visit fanessentials.net to get all the essentials you need, U.S. listeners only. We're back on American Citizens, and we are honored to be joined by BBC Radio Manchester's Ian Cheeseman. Ian, we really appreciate you taking the time to talk to us today.
3: No problem. Always Always like to talk to fellow blues.
0: Well, we love it, too. And we'll jump right into the, uh, the Sunderland game yesterday. I know there were some mixed emotions on the performance, and you tweeted that you were quite impressed with it, and I think both of us on this podcast are inclined to agree with you. So we'll just go into it, what you saw, the, uh, the impression you got. Um, talk, talk, us, talk to us about the performance yesterday in City's Guardiola's first match.
3: Well, it's interesting because I've I've had mixed reactions both on social media and from people I've spoken to. My wife and son go to the games, and uh, and they were quite negative actually. And uh, I think they would expected too much too quickly. Guardiola has been billed. Obviously, we had the citizens' weekend down at, at the uh, the stadium before the season started, as being almost like you know the the coming, you know, as the best coach that's ever lived. And with that expectation goes an expectation, therefore, that when you sit in the stadium for the first time and watch his team, you sort of expect a 4-0, 5-0, completely convincing performance. I've been reading a very, very interesting book that I know a lot of people are aware of called Pep Confidential, which is basically a diary of the first season that Pep Guardiola was in charge at Bayern Munich. And that, coupled with, I suppose, my general football knowledge anyway, I didn't, certainly didn't go to the Etihad, expecting it to be a thumping rollover of David Moyes-Sunderland. I expected it, though, to be interesting, and it didn't fail to live up to that. I sit next to Paul Lake at home games, the former Manchester City player, and both of us were loving the game. There was a 25-minute spell in the first half in particular, which was really fascinating fascinating and it was when the team were completely clued in it felt to me to what Pep's philosophy was and all the tactics now it's new to all the players so they're going to have to uh, get used to it and the danger is that when a little bit of fatigue comes in or the other team do something slightly different you lose focus because it's so new to you and you end up going back to the old habits and I felt that happened a little bit but there was certainly a spell in that game that I was sort of thinking wow wow, oh, this is just what I was hoping for and I can see what the future is and I was really, really enjoying it. In the end, City squeaked home and know got the victory and not, not the most convincing way in many people's eyes. But for me personally, and, and people will accuse me of being a sycophant, I always try to call it as it is. If I call it as it is and I'm being negative, people say I'm negative. <laughs> if I call it as it is and it's brilliant, they call me a sycophant. You can't win doing this sort of job, I tried to just be honest and call it as a C. And I thought I really enjoyed day's game, and I really thought that there was a lot of positive to take out of it.
1: You know, Ian, you, you brought up that, that Pep Guardiola book, and I'm not too sure how far into the book you are if you finished it. Uh, But there was a line in there from around the middle of the book where they were talking about tactics and, and they were talking about those crosses and Pep wanting to get – I think it was right about the time where he was discussing – uh, circling back with Rebery about those ideas he wanted to try earlier in the season, but that Rebery wasn't ready to mentally absorb. And as yep. he got back to them, he was explaining to Rebery how he could vacate the, <clears throat> his wing and sort of be deployed as a false nine to cause havoc. And the idea was that he would be able to get in there and create some crosses that were so deep in the box that oftentimes any, anything that a defender could do would be the wrong thing because it would wind up punching the ball in the net. And yesterday, you saw Jesus square his man up, get right in there and launch across so deep into the box that as it was quoted in the book, it was worth half a goal itself.
3: Yeah, that's, that's spot on. I have read that part. I'm a, just over three quarters of the way through the book at the moment. I remember that bit. Distinctly, you're right. What a great piece of analysis, I have to say, that is, which not many people would pick out unless they'd probably read that book. But you're absolutely right. I mean, Ribery had ups and downs in terms of periods, it seems, during certainly that first year. Obviously, we don't know about the other two years, though we've seen some of the comments he's made since Pep's left. But there were times in that first year when he took it on board and sometimes when he didn't take it on board and Pep accused him of not being sort of not quite saying he wasn't intelligent enough to pick it up, but not, perhaps not flexible enough to pick it up. But there were times when it worked, and Ribery uh, did very, very well, where uh, perhaps Bar- uh, Bayern Munich at that time were playing at their best. Navas is an interesting one, because obviously he came on as a substitute in that game, and he has played a little one-dimensionally sometimes under Manuel Pellegrini. And if the comment that you make which seems very astute and a very good observation, is actually based on the fact that Navas was thinking that way rather than it was just one of those that he hit and happened to land in that area, then that's been took on board by Pep Guardiola. The unanswerable bit that we don't know, unless we speak to Pep specifically about that, or to Jesus Navas, is was that something that you two talked about and was that ball deliberate? But it's a great observation.
1: Yeah, I appreciate that. Yeah, It's like you, though. As as I've been reading some of these things in the book, I see them play out into the field. And when Nolito came in, the very first thing it reminded me of is because fans at that point, it was early on in the transfer window, um, the bigger business had yet to be done. And as we'll get to in a moment, it still looks like there may be one more piece of spectacular business, depending on your point of view. Uh, to be done, but when when City signed the Lido, there there was sort of a huh from 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 the crowd, and the very first thing I thought of was was the Tiago or nobody. Pep to me needed somebody who could on the field relay and convey the ideas that he needed. But do so by having an advocate that's on the pitch, because, you know, during the course of the match and peps admitted to this, I don't think they pay attention to me when I'm shouting on the sidelines, you know, like I get my moments when they come over or I send somebody in. But half the time, my players, when they're out there, they're doing what it is they want to do. I, I thought that the Nolito thing, to me, it screamed of Tiago or nobody uh, because he needed that person who could convey the ideas in such a way that the players could sort of follow suit by example. Did that ring of that to you when he brought in Nolito?
3: Possibly. I mean, the, the, the danger that, that you and I now have in this conversation is that other people who are listening to this haven't read Pet Guardiola, uh, you know, the We're Pet Confidential. It. Uh, Well, it's not so much spoiling it, but it it might be that they're thinking, what are these two talking about? You know, I'm not quite on their wavelength. So what perhaps we should explain is that, um, you know, he brought Thiago into Bayern Munich in his first year and saw him as exactly as you've said, as the player who could transmit instantly what he was all about because he already knew him. However, there is one interesting little twist in this, of course. Thiago got injured in that first season and Philip Lahm, almost, you could argue, by accident at one stage, got moved into the key role, the pivot role, as he calls it, that the role that sets the tempo, uh, directs the play, almost, you could say, a quarterback in American terms, in football, in English football. Um, uh, so... Yes, Thiago, he wanted to be that player early on, but he, he actually found somebody who could do it just as well, that he wasn't part of his previous experiences. And maybe at City, that player, the early indications are, might be Fernandinho.
0: Yeah, I can, I can definitely see that. Um, given the role that he was playing yesterday, it was sort of a deep three, especially with the way the, the, the fullbacks were moving all over the place. But he seemed to be the at the heart of everything that City were creating from deep. Um, I I wanted to ask um, because it, it's been pretty much the number one talking point, other than the game itself, in the last twenty four hours or so, is the goalkeeping situation. Joe Hart was dropped. Caballero was started because, um, in Guardiola's words, his preseason was he was impressed by his preseason in the last few hours there have been a spate of reports that manchester city are moving closer to a deal for uh, claudio bravo the barcelona goalkeeper um we know and we agree that the goalkeeper position is uh, vital though for the way that guardiola plays the game he needs to have a goalkeeper who can play the way he needs them to play so um i just wanted to get your thoughts on it um the situation with Hart and Caballero and whatever else, and what what, what do you think the future holds here for, for this position?
3: Well, I think it's quite clear that Joe Hart uh, will be gone by the end of, of uh, this month. Uh, that is assuming, of course, that there is somebody out there who will at least match his wages, uh, because the player's under no obligation to move once he's under contract, um, and whether or not another uh, club is prepared to pay whatever fee City will ask for him. Um, there's a lot more to this Joe Hart story than meets the eye, really. Most of the so-called experts—not that I'm claiming to be one, by the way—but most of the people who talk about this um, talk about the footwork that's needed, the sweeper keeper, and all the rest of it has been the only thing, really, that uh, that is the reason why Joe Hart isn't fancied. Um, I don't want to reveal any sources or or break any confidences, but I've been hearing for, you know quite a while, that um, that Joe Hart, it, 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 you know, Pep, Pep doesn't really fancy him as a, as a person um, and, and maybe he's been there quite a long time, Joe Hart. He was there at the time when, you, you might remember right back to the cup final that uh, City lost to Wigan, that, um, that there'd been, you know, Costel Pentelemon had been the keeper all the way through that cup competition and then right at the last minute there was a change of plan. And I I mean, I heard rumours that, you know, there was a a little bit of a delegation of players that went and saw the manager and said, well, we know you're going to get sacked. We want Joe Hart in goal. Now, how influential Joe Hart was in that, I don't know. But City ended up losing that game and clearly the atmosphere wasn't right at that particular time. And there is a little bit of a thought from some people that uh, maybe player power had got a little bit too big. And if, and this is a big if, Pep has come in as a new broom and detected something wrong like that in the dressing room, then that may be just as much an issue as the sweeper-keeper issue for Joe Hart. Now, last season, a lot of City fans were saying to me on Blue Tuesday and the things that I do, that uh, they didn't think that Joe Hart was very good to his left-hand side. He was weaker on his left-hand side. And although I was actually, bizarrely, in Florida on holiday when the Euros were on and didn't watch the England games, clearly the the feedback from those was that uh, Joe Hart didn't particularly have a good Euros. And he came on for the second half of the friendly against Arsenal, the only pre-season friendly he made, appearance he made, and kicked one straight into touch immediately. And then I thought was at fault for one of the, the Arsenal goals. And I turned to the person I was with at the time and said if there was ever going to be any question mark against Joe Hart, if the rumours I'm hearing about him going are are true, then uh, that won't have helped his cause at all. And I also heard that when Joe was told on Friday that he wasn't playing, that I'll be a diplomatic here and, and not say too much, but he wasn't best pleased and showed that, which I don't think would have gone well down with Pep either so it's looking like I think the, the the target Pep wanted was Ter Stegen I think Claudio Bravo the other Barcelona goalkeeper who City have been linked with all summer the, the slightly older one of course uh, but that but also a cheaper one is the one that it looks as if is going to be the one that replaces Joe Hart
1: you know it's funny that you mentioned that because prior to you coming on we were talking with our Etihad. Uh, correspondent a season ticket holder out there. And I brought up some of Hart's comments at the Euros, which I'm sure you saw flying around on, on city Twitter. Uh, the, 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 the ones where he, he was sort of saying like, Oh, you know, we're clearly the best and we'll get through. And then, you know, Joe Hart makes some, some big mistakes that ultimately denied England, the possibility of, of, you know doing better than they should it sort of felt in a way like karma and i've noticed that about joe hart there's been times where i've heard some of his post game comments and and as a guy who covers you know american football at kind of like you you do i've been in the locker rooms i've i've been around the players you hear things and you see the reactions if you're paying attention subtly if you're looking at the people around you when they say these things oftentimes you can catch kind of like a twerk of the face or, or some side eye when people say these things and I notice that Joe Hart tends to do it a lot open mouth insert foot now we all agree that and, and I know I think you've said this on on your show many many times in order to be the best in the world, you have to have an ego you have to there's there's just no way to get that good with having a certain amount of ego. you see it in Ronaldo you see it in messi you see you definitely see it in Michael Jordan. Lord knows he's probably got enough ego for everybody but <laughs> um. There comes a time where if you're not performing at that level and you have the ego, it becomes a bit of a put-off. Now, I don't want to put you, like you said, in a foul of any sources or a foul of any club rules or things like that. But is this – because you mentioned that 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 Pep doesn't maybe fancy Joe Hart as a person – do you think that there's a component of all of these comments that have been said over the years, the stuff coming out of the Euros, that as Pep comes into this, he's been keen to it? And whatever it is that we don't know that's happened in the dressing room prior, yeah, has it all added up to the point where it's just best for everybody to move on? Is that really where we, we've landed, I guess is my question.
3: It might be. Um, That sounds like a very vague answer, but I'm trying to be honest here because I don't see Joe Hart day in, day out. I don't know what the relationship's like. I don't even know that really the truth of what is going on behind. I only can have an instinct and hear, you know, things that tell me. And that's how we all base our opinions. Joe Hart's never done me any harm. I have no personal axe to grind or gender with him, though I have seen him since he first joined uh, from Shrewsbury Town. He went on loan to Birmingham City for a while and I have seen a difference, but then people grow up and become more mature, they become more famous, they become more successful and people do change. We all change. I'd like to think I've not changed a lot since uh, you I know, started all this, but then I'm not a multi-million pound footballer and we can't really say how we would change if we were in that situation but the young lad who was always willing to be everybody's friend at the beginning has developed now into a more chippy defensive person in interviews obviously I've interviewed him on many occasions and I I have to say if I'm being really honest that he's not somebody that I generally look forward to interviewing him because the most innocent of comments can be challenged and and knocked back when you think, well, I didn't say that and I didn't mean to say that, but you've sort of turned it round because you seem as if you you know, the word is chippy, just become chippy. Um, What happened in, in in the summer, in the Euros, I don't think would have affected how Pep would have looked to him. But don't forget that Chiqui Begerstein and Ferran Soriano and, to a certain extent, Manuel Pellegrini will have all been in the loop that, knowing that Pep was coming. And so, therefore, there have been eyes and ears in the dressing room at Manchester City for two or three years. And Pep will not have walked in, in on July the 1st, when technically he started, as a complete new boy who was getting to know everybody. He's known everybody, he's watched videos and he's heard everything that's gone on from his trusted friends and sources all the time. So he will already have had some feedback about every single one of his players, including Joe Hart. So if it is a personality thing and we can't be sure that that's it, it may just simply be down to the sweeper-keeper thing, but if it is to do with that, then that will have built up over, I believe, quite a long time and not just over the last few weeks when he's actually got to know him personally.
0: Yeah, I, I, that's absolutely true. And obviously, Guardiola has been very close with the Manchester City hierarchy for years. So this is not a foreign environment to him. Um, before we let you go, um, I think- do wanted- to... I just want to
1: add one last thing on that. I, I, I think that this what's comes down to, and I often tell my readers this when I write up pieces, you're going to hear rumors in the press and and you're going to hear things eventually down the line stated by Hart and and probably some of his teammates will spout back. So we'll hear some of it down the line. What you need to do is take 50% of it from both sides, and then you probably have the truth somewhere in the middle. Do not listen to everything both sides are saying and assume that it is true. The truth, I find, is almost always in the middle, and we're probably never going to know the
3: full extent of what happens, but you could probably... The only thing I'd disagree with, you're right to listen to both sides in any argument like that, but in life... If you hear both perspectives, it doesn't mean that once you've heard both perspectives, A, you have a true view, or that uh, it's the, meet- the meeting is somewhere in the middle. It might be that it skews one way or the other, depending on what you've heard. But, you, you know, generally speaking, you're right. And that's why I'm, despite you know the role that I have, I'm quite cautious because I think I don't want to be unfair to people and I don't true. want to, you know, to. to I, I hear a lot of journalists and a lot of fans who you know, spout on as if they know everything. Mm-hmm. Um, and, and, and so there is a, you could almost argue a slight chance that you sound weak as an interviewee, like I am in this situation, because I don't claim to know everything. Um, so I think that's very unfair to talk as if you do know everything when you don't. I, I don't know Joe. I, I don't spend time with him. I don't spend time with Pep Guardiola. None of us do in the media. So anybody that claims to know the real ins and outs of this, are making it up to make themselves sound important so please don't take it that way the things that I've said I'm, Oh, are, I suppose I'm, these are suppose me doing exactly what you're talking about which is trying to hear both sides as much as you can do of that argument and trying to find the path through it that seems the most likely which is all, all you do with rumours as well transfer rumours mm-hmm. as people say are they going to sign this person they're going to sign that person and I think Well, nobody is going to ring me up from City and tell me who they're going to sign. (laughs) But you can actually do sort of jigsaw journalism, as I call it, by working out that if five or six separate sources have told you the same type of rumour, that there's probably something in it. Whereas when it's just people flying a kite, another English expression that I hope you know, then you can hopefully see through that. And so it becomes a an educated guess about everything, even though it can't be certain. So, you know, I hope I I don't sound like some sort of, you know, idiot saying, Oh, let's get what I'm saying.
1: No, I totally agree with you. I think the heart of what I was trying to say is that we're never going to fully know what happened. And just because the mirror reported this or the, the telegraph reported that you can't jump on Twitter and assume that it's true. Uh, you are right, though, that that sometimes the truth isn't always in the middle. Sometimes the truth is is definitely on one side or the other. But I I think I was I was hedging my bets by saying Joe Hart has has done a lot for the club, and hundred percent agree. For for the best way for this situation to go down would be for people not to engage in any of the acrimony that inevitably follows a departure like this where people seem to be off-put in some sense honor and respect what has been done for the club but try your best to understand that as even even journalists or fans we are just never going to know the full extent of what happened
3: wise words wise words couldn't agree more
0: yeah. So, before we let you go, I know you're off to Romania, and that's what, what we want to get uh-huh. your, your thoughts on, the uh, the game against Bucharest coming up on Tuesday. Um, it's hard to overstate the the importance of this, actually, coming this early in the season um, for for a club like Manchester City who need to be in the Champions League group stages um, and that they need to get past this tie. Obviously, there are probably tougher teams that they could have been drawn against in this particular uh, playoff round. But you're looking at a club that have been in Europe recently, in both in the Europa League as well, I believe, um, and that they have, you know, you're going to a pretty big home stadium in what will be a rollicking environment because they're not going to get a lot of teams like this coming in. So I'm expecting this to be a difficult tie. Um, What do you think? What do we know about um, Bucharest? And do we think there will be any sort of major changes in a game of this, this, this much importance to the club in a away game in a hostile environment? Um,
3: in terms of personnel and playing personnel, uh, the way I read what the manager said at the press conference, which I attended on Friday, because I asked a couple of questions that were quite pertinent to this, uh, asking about the fitness of Nicolas Otamendi, for example, and the way he answered that question was that he'd had a tendon problem and he wasn't quite right. And then we, of course, saw that he was named on the bench. My gut feeling is, but I, may be, I, I actually got 10 out of the 11. Um, I predicted the, the team yesterday, 10 out of the 11, uh, including, by the way, Caballero in, in goal, which a lot of people didn't notice. <laughs> but um, nevertheless, I picked 10 out of 11. Now, I'm not claiming I can do that every week. But if you're putting me on the spot and asking me the question, uh, I think there might be a change with Otamendi if now he is fit coming in for Alexander Kolarov at centre-back. I think Pep's tactics will be a little bit more cautious uh, over in uh, Bucharest. Ask me a question about Bucharest and I can't give you an honest answer. Um, I haven't yet uh, looked at the opposition. When I get to Bucharest tomorrow and we go to the press conference and I pick up the press pack and I've got a little bit of time, as much as I can, I'll try and look at the opposition and try and figure out how they'll play and... See what the names are that I recognise that I know anything about, but again, I don't. want Send to Send us that list
1: when you do, because <laughs> we don't even know who's on their team,
3: so. But you'll be able to find it. You'll be able to find it on the UEFA website, so that's 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 the easy thing to do. Um, so I, I don't know what they're going to put forward. I know there's some quotes knocking around today from Steaua Bucharest saying we're going to give them hell or something to the effect of that. And you're right, in their own stadium, big crowd. I would imagine that. Um, thank goodness that City played the second leg at the Etihad because if they do slip up in that first leg and go a couple of goals behind, I think it's still recoverable. Whereas if they'd have done what they did to Sunderland and won 2-1 in a home leg and then had to go there, that would be a much more dangerous situation for them. Um, so I would imagine a very similar team, probably with Otamendi to start instead of off and a cautious approach by City to give themselves that extra week, another game against Stoke City next weekend to get themselves sort of ready for that that second leg. As you're right, it is absolutely important. I've got to tell you this, though. I'll tell you a couple of stories, actually, about, about Romania and um, what it will mean to me. Um, City played Timisoara a few years ago, 2010. And uh, I went out there and was going to be doing the, the commentary on the radio as, as normal. And uh, the owner, I think, or the chairman at the time of Timishwara was playing hardball with the British media and was asking for, ex- relative, I use the word advisedly, extortionate amounts for television and radio commentary. Television actually pulled out and the game, very unusually, was not shown anywhere in England, in fact, even finding it on a stream, which I know a lot of people do, was very almost impossible. So, the only way to get any information on this game, and even though it's only six years ago, things have changed a lot in those six years. The only way to get, it, get any information was hopefully through my radio commentary, and they were going to ask for quite a lot of money for that as well, because they were desperate to make some money to Mishwara out of the English being there. This was in a UEFA Cup tie, and Gary Cook who now I think is in charge of UFC in the States, is based in Las Vegas, but was the CEO of City at the time, stepped in um, when I told him what the situation was. And I still, to this day, don't don't know whether it was him personally or the club who then stumped up the fee so that the commentary could still go out to City fans, in Manchester at least, uh, to follow the game. And uh, Fred Eyre, who often does the away commentaries with me, was my summariser that night. And he had the, uh, the challenge of actually summarising um, without pictures. <laughs> he'll be doing summarising on Tuesday when I'm in Bucharest. He'll be sat in the studios at Media City in Salford and he'll be watching a video feed of it. There might be a delay of two or three seconds, but he'll certainly be watching the pictures. So he can summarise on what he's seen, all right? Him and me have to manage it in a way where uh, I can't get an instant response because he might not have actually seen the incident until four or five seconds after I've seen it. But at least he can see it. In that case, in that night, um, he had to actually, we didn't sort of make too much of it, but he had to summarise the game just off my words, which might sound easy, but trust me, when you're not seeing the game, it means I've got to ask questions in a different way to my summariser, and he's got to answer them in a different way so that we don't sound like Wally's. And that's what happened uh, that day. In terms of this trip, back in the 1980s, Um, a lad from Bucharest at the time uh, Bucharest and Romania were behind the Iron Curtain um, wrote to the Manchester City supporters club asking for a pen friend and I was one of three people who responded and became his pen friend Uh, in 1991 he came over with $11 in his his pocket and the clothes he was wearing and I took him to a derby match he met Peter Reid the city manager at the time, uh, Niall Quinn and Colin Bell and a few other people like that. And we've been friends ever since. Of course, the fortune, his personal fortunes have turned completely around since then. He's probably far more wealthy than I am now. Um, and he's got a very good job and, and he's highly qualified. And he will be at the game. He's, he's been over to Wembley Cup finals. I've got him tickets and all sorts of things. And he's wanted me to go and visit him in Bucharest for all these years and I've never quite managed it but um, tomorrow I'll be flying out and stopping with uh, with my friend Val for uh, for a night uh, while some over there to cover the game so for me that's uh, that's quite a uh, you know a story that le- relates back to the 1980s to to the present day so i just thought I'd share those two stories with you
1: perfect draw for you then huh
3: <laughs> perfect yeah yeah,
1: yeah. <laughs> um... sounds like it doesn't get any
3: better than that
1: I, I mean the, my my only question about this game is uh, you, you mentioned that you think that that pep's going to play a little bit more conservative as tends to be the uh, the wiser approach when when you're in a knockout leg especially one that could see you Eliminated from the possibility of and especially
3: stage. this early in his tenure yeah. when he's still trying to get people to play his way that that is probably even more important or at yeah. least as important as the other factors.
1: Yeah, we we think the Europa League jokes are funny now, but get knocked out by Stal Bucharest and the Europa League jokes that there won't there won't be enough uh, space on Twitter to hide. Nope. Uh, <laughs> But uh, I guess what I want to know is, is this. You You look at what Pep did with the team, and even though you think he'll be more conservative, I think there can be no qualms about the fact that, and, and this is due to things that managers focus on when they come in. The first thing they tend to do is shore up the defense. Then the second thing they tend to do is install the tactics. And – then the attack is sort of what eventually comes last, uh, because, well, you assume that the skill level of the players can sort of get some things done while you're taking care of the base priorities. The attack against Sunderland was kind of blunted, but if City can, in a way dominate the game without taking too many risks that means they're going to have to improve on the attacking end
3: guessing as, as you the one, might the one thing we don't know is 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 whether Bucharest are of the standard of Sunderland or or whatever that's the big unknown factor because City could come back with a 3-0 win for all we know and put on a, an attacking master class because Pep's clever enough to change during a game, isn't he? We know that. So when he if he sees that, or he, he may already have done research on. Uh, in fact, I'd be frankly surprised if he hasn't already done research. So me and you might not know a lot about Steaua Bucharest, but you can bet he will. Usually, so could he's, be that- if if we're per the book, he should already be on his way out there if
1: he's sticking to his regiment because he usually arrives a day early. And then goes through and does a walkthrough of his game plan the day before.
3: Well, as far as I know, the the, the team are flying out. Well, I, I do know that the team are flying out tomorrow morning. Okay. So uh, yeah, that's when he'll get there.
1: So I, I I I guess my my curious question would be this: What if any minor tweaks to to the attacking edge do you think City could make? Do you think? Maybe Nolito may be given a reprieve uh in favor of Navas who looked to and and of course there were several of the substitutions made that before novice. but definitely I thought from an attacking edge, I, I thought we saw a different novice and a different sterling. Might novice replace Nolito?
3: And that's uh, The Sterling-Navas uh, thing is interesting because I personally, and I thought this last season as well, and uh, and certainly the evidence was there yesterday, uh, I know there's a little bit more to it than just putting a player in a different position because it's, it's also about coaching and motivation. But I thought Sterling looked and is far more dangerous, far more effective on the right. That's where Navas plays. Nalito is a left winger. So therefore... I don't want to see Sterling go back to the left, uh, which is what you would probably do to accommodate Navas. My gut feeling is that he will go with pretty much the 11 that started against Sunderland and pretty much the same sort of approach um, because it was relatively cautious early, apart from one little spell in the first half in the game against Sunderland. So, personally, I I think that... um, but you know, you can play this back again in a couple of days and, so, and say it shows what he knows. But no. I, I think that they'll stick with pretty much the same sort of thing because you've, you've still got Navas as a fast substitute, an impact substitute. Whether Yaya Torre is used in that role as a substitute as well, maybe in this game. And of course, Ian uh, caused a threat when he came on, too. And you can, you can go with two up front. But I personally think that the team. It, it, Bucharest, if I was putting some money on it right now, will be very similar. Uh, Otamendi for, uh, Kolarov maybe, but the, the same team out there in Bucharest with a similar type of approach.
1: The only thing i kick it to grey after this, uh, no, I, I am in 100% agreement with you. I actually said on the City Watch podcast, and, and Asan was very quizzical of me when, when I said it, I said almost verbatim, I do not think Sterling is a left-winger. He is much more incisive from the right-hand side. He seems to know what he's doing. He seems to feel more comfortable there. And I think that yesterday, while it is just a pathetic sample size that you could not use with any statistical sincerity... I think yesterday is a strong indication that you and, a, you and I may be on the right side of history on this argument, Ian, and that...
3: Fingers crossed.
0: <laughs> yeah. Well, um, Ian, thank you so much for taking the time. And by the way, we will not I mean, well, if you if we play this back and find out that you were wrong, we can also play ourselves back last week when we didn't even consider the possibility of Kolarov as a center back. In a Ooh, we game. shouldn't
1: let him get out of here without <laughs> asking him about that. Swear yeah, to re- God, re- really quickly because we don't we don't want to keep you long.
0: But, Kolarov,
1: um... man of the match. What sorcery has did Pep get his degree from Hogwarts this summer? <laughs>
3: My man of the match yesterday would have been Fernandinho, actually, but I can understand why one or two people might have, have gone for Kolarov. Um, I think that was a case of, uh, in the absence, he obviously doesn't fancy Mangala. Um, Otamendi wasn't fit. We know that companies, if he's going to come back, he's not going to come back until September. There may still be, who knows, another late bid for Benucci or somebody of that ilk. Kolarov clearly... Um, You can tell from everything he's said ever since Pep was announced. Wants to learn, wants to listen, and so therefore is malleable. And uh, so that's, I think, why he's got that shout. And you know what? Dare I say, I'm not saying, by the way, that Kolarov suddenly is a world beater and I know there are a lot of people out there who are not keen on him, but he probably looks better (laughs) as a centre-back than he does as a left-back when his positional sense seems to be weaker, but uh, as a centre-back, it's a little bit more straightforward, generally speaking. Um, some might argue he was at fault for the default goal yesterday, but nevertheless, I thought, I thought he had a decent... There was one other incident in the first half where he was, he was out of position, but overall, I didn't think he did bad at all yesterday, and I think that's... He, he, somebody asked me about it on Twitter, and I said, do you really think that Pep Guardiola thinks that Kolarov is the long-term solution there? No. He's just being pragmatic in the short term.
0: Yeah, I think that was the conclusion that that we came to, but it still surprised us. And we were definitely impressed that he he more than held his own, really. Um, Ian, we really, really appreciate the time. And um, if you'd like to tell us where we can find you, what you've got coming up, we know you're off to Romania to call the game for um, BBC Manchester, but tell us. I know you uh, Blue Tuesday. Feel free to tell us about that.
3: Yeah, Blue Tuesday is obviously the the show that I uh, present on BBC Radio Manchester every Tuesday between 6 and 7 UK time. You can actually listen to it live. People obviously have different time zones and different commitments by going to bbc.co.uk slash Radio Manchester and then follow the Listen Live link, but it's also downloadable as a podcast or available as a as a listen again. Generally speaking, every week I have a, a former player with me. It was Paul Dickoff last week, David White, the former City winger, will be uh, in Manchester while I'm in Bucharest this week a couple of city fans in the studio and sometimes we we also have another ex city player on uh, and, and obviously there are other things that we do that's an hour long and then I do commentary on every city game home and away um, on the city website so on the match day centre and also uh, but you wouldn't be able to listen to the commentaries uh, outside of the UK uh, on on the BBC because there's a restriction on the commentaries uh, being put on the internet or whatever. Uh, But if you are in Manchester, of course, you'd be able to listen on, on the radio to the commentaries that we do as well. We
1: actually can get you through, or or there were uh, the ability to, through the city app on the audio. And I used to kill the audio on my television with our announcer. Thankfully, we don't have to put up with BT Sport. Like, I can't <laughs> say enough about that. But, uh, yeah, no, I usually kill the audio and, and and play it with your commentary.
3: Well, that's great to hear. Thank you. Thank you. Um, <laughs> and and uh, that's that's what I love doing the most. So um, hopefully that comes across when when I'm doing commentaries.
0: Absolutely. Well, we can't thank you enough for taking the time to talk to us over here in the States. And um, we look forward to hearing your
1: commentary some more. Um, no
3: no problem. Like, Anytime. Lo- Thank you.
1: Long season ahead for you. And um, hopefully we can pick your brain again down the line.
3: I'm sure you can. I'm sure so you we- can. <laughs> if you can find anything in
1: there. <laughs> ah, you've got plenty to offer, Ian. You've got yeah. plenty to offer. <laughs>
0: Um, as for us, we are on Twitter at America Citizens, America Citizens and um, we are also on iTunes and Blog Talk radio. so you're going to want to subscribe to us there. We'll be back probably after Champions League game with our reaction to that. Um, until next week, this has been American Citizens on Blog Talk Radio.